When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching the 133rd episode of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about Towson, Virginia, Utah Bellerman, Lise McRae hosting Alabama Huntsville, Mercer spanked D2 team. So we'll get into all of those games and talk about them today. And uh, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Seriously, subscribing is super easy. If you're an audio listener only, just hit us up on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash laxfactor. Give us a subscribe. We're on our way to 10,000 subscribers. So we need you guys to do that for us. And you can also go to laxfactor.com, get yourself swag. We have t-shirts, we have shorts, all sorts of other stuff. Let us get into these games here. Uh, first game I want to talk about, Towson at Virginia. Uh, just before the game hit, I think it was one of the college cross guys, uh, Tyler, had broke that UVA would be playing without Matt Moore, and that happened just a handful of hours before the game. And then when the starting lineups uh, showed, uh, Docs Aitken wasn't in the starting lineup, but that's not totally unexpected. So... That was a big deal that UVA was going to have to play without Matt Moore, their leading scorer from the last two seasons. But, you know, they're playing Towson, who was 0-6 last year, and they are still loaded. And it was Connor Schellenberger uh, is supposedly the player that took Moore's place in the starting lineup. And, man, Towson came out strong. Uh, one of the things I had said in the keys to their game, on I think it was Thursday when I broke it down, was that they had to come out and try to get a couple of cheap goals early. Uh, because that that's when you're playing against a team like Virginia who's just loaded and you were 0-6 on your way to 0-8 last year. You needed everything that can go your way to go your way. Early on here, they took a 4-2 lead at one point, which was pretty incredible. Brody McLean looked pretty good. Uh, so they came out. They came out strong. Held the lead through the, a good chunk of the first quarter before Virginia started to settle in and then played good. Uh, for anyone that has been following UVA the last couple of years, this was an odd box score in the sense that this was a, a very kind of new look Cavs team. Uh, Con Connor Schellenberger gets a start on attack. He was wearing the number one redshirt freshman. He scored UVA's first goal, hustle goal, picked up a ground ball, stepped down when no one kind of picked him up after he had to loop his way through a couple of guys and then stuck one nice bouncer low left. And then he scored later on a dodge from out top corner down into the middle with his right, stuck it on the run. That looked really good. He look he looks to be the real deal. I'd like to go through the game and talk about it in sequence, but once UVA got rolling, it was a blowout. So I'd really rather just focus on the individual performances from guys like Schellenberger, Cormier, and and the like. So he looks to be the real deal. Uh, seems way more comfortable already on the field than you would expect someone who's just playing in their first uh, Division One game, going for four goals and three helpers on the day. But then again. They were playing a team that, you know, was not as evenly matched uh, as we would like to see to try to get a real good gauge of UVA. A lot of people were hype and they were talking about how this means UVA is better than Duke. The college, I know the College Cross official Twitter put that out, hyping up UVA, saying maybe they should be the number one over Duke because of how UVA played. Listen, UVA played a team that was 0-6 last year, was easily going to probably end up 0-8 because they had, I think, Duke and Denver 
as their seventh and eighth games. And then they played Hofstra, which is not a guaranteed win after that. I mean, Towson could have been like one in 11 or one in 12 last year, if not over. Although I figure they probably would have got a game. And I'd already said not to dump on Towson. Towson was one of the best 0-6 teams, I think, that has ever existed. They were they were a solid team that the schedule just fell the wrong way. So they could look a lot different. They did not look a lot different against UVA, either because UVA is really good, which is probably part of the truth, and because Towson's just still struggling uh, to find an identity offensively, which is also pretty true. Although they looked a little bit better than I expected them to. Um, so Schellenberger looks like he is going to pan out uh, for sure. Peyton Cormier picked up where he left off last year, albeit he looked a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, if that's possible. More confident for sure. It's kind of becoming a triple threat in the sense that he's now dodging on poles, uh, feeding. He had a great game, six goals, uh, one assist. Uh, but he's scoring unassisted goals. He's dodging. He's feeding. He did a little bit of everything for UVA, which was good for Virginia. He scored two goals in the second quarter, and he's just too big. You know, dodging from the left wing, he backed up uh, uh, up the field left-handed. Just too much for Towson to handle overall. Just a big boy, and they couldn't stop him from getting into the middle of the field. He just kept kind of backing his guys in, you know, dodging into the middle of the field from that left wing. I think he did that twice in a row uh, at one point, and he's just too big, too strong, and played way too smart overall on the day for Towson to be able to handle. Charlie Bertrand, the transfer from Merrimack, he looked incredible, four goals and two helpers. He was a two-time D2 player of the year, so he looked good. Huge addition, huge addition, sneaky pickup, as somebody said in one of the comments for UVA. He stuck a really beautiful question mark dodge where he kind of snuck up the left side, turned around, it was kind of an extended question mark. Really nice look. Another big big uh, key for UVA on the day was Petey freaking LaSala. One goal, one assist. He dominated the faceoff dot as expected, going 19 of 23 in the draws that he took. And there were some other guys that took draws, but when he was on the field, he dominated. And then the odd part, uh, normal fixtures. Matt Moore, as we said, he didn't play, but Ian Laviano did play. Uh, I showed in the box score I looked on UVA's website that he was a, a double goose egg, 0 for 0, but inside lacrosse had him uh, listed with an assist. And Dox Aitken, another stalwart, he was 0 for 0. I think they combined took about 10 shots between the two of them and didn't stick anything. And uh, defensively, Jared Connors, he showed uh, a goal or no, an assist. Six GBs and three caused turnovers, so he wreaked havoc all over the place. Kaloji played good, and he factored. Alex Rode in cage, eight saves versus eight goals against. So not a whole lot of bright spots for Towson in terms of the box score because UVA eventually put it on him. But Towson showed some flashes of being solid in the sense that early in the game, they jumped out quick, they got a lead, and it was just UVA overall, and their depth was just too much to take over time. So that ended up burning them a little bit. But a, a good game, a good show by UVA, once again just proves that the ACC is going to be an absolute just shit show across the board and very difficult for these teams to get out. Like I can't, even with all the, the Duke super team hype that even I've been partly a part of, uh, nobody's getting out of the ACC undefeated. I cannot imagine that, that there's going to be an ACC team that doesn't lose at least one game in ACC play while you're playing. I think they're playing, what, six games uh, in ACC play? Maybe it was seven. I can't remember. They play everybody once and then two teams twice. So, yeah, the ACC is going to be loaded. So now we've seen Duke, and Duke looked good once they got rolling. We see UVA. Uh, they look good once they got rolling. And, uh, and I think next week we get to see Syracuse and Notre Dame. And we'll, we'll, we'll ha and today we get to see um, UNC play here this morning. Actually, within the next couple of hours, less than two hours away, we'll see UNC playing Denver later. So that'll be big, too. 
Um, so good game overall, good game out of Virginia. Towson struggled a little bit, but there were some uh, some positives to take away from it on their side as well. They didn't give up. They kept scoring. They got above 10 goals uh, on the day against a very good defensive team. So positives for Towson to take away, but UVA, man, they're looking scary, and that is, that is the absolute truth. Uh, another game, uh, and I actually watched a little bit of this one as well, Utah, Bellarmine, Utah. Man, I made a tweet, I put a tweet out yesterday that if, if uh, the Utah players and coaches and whatever, if they even knew that I existed, they would say like, hey man, that Hoos dude is doing us dirty because I have picked against them twice. I picked them to get smoked by Denver. I, I figured they would get beat up by Denver by eight to 10 goals, maybe more. And they didn't. They hung with Denver to two, to within two goals. And then this week they play Bellerman, and I say, ah, they're going to probably lose to Bellerman. Bellerman's a pretty solid team overall. They've got a lot of depth. Utah lost all of their scores last year. I picked, I picked Bellerman. I figured it would be a low-scoring game, and Bellerman would pull that out. Utah comes out and beats them 12-7. to So I have to stop fronting on uh, Utah and uh, will pretty much have to pick them every game for the rest of the year, at least to cover or beat a team where the matchup is close. Uh, Bellerman struck first, BTB goal. Uh, it was a pretty decent goal uh, off a feed from behind. But then Utah scored the next three, taking a 3-1 lead and route to a 6-3 lead, only to have Bellerman kind of start battling back and back and back. And it looked like the game-tying goal. I'll show you this in sequence. It was a man-up play. And Bellerman, it was a behind-the-back feed into a fake behind-the-back feed to a wraparound pass down to a guy, goal line extended, who then fed it back up to the crease. It was like a, an easy goal once they got it from the feeder to the guy who scored the goal. It was an easy goal with a lot of flash and level of difficulty because of the B BTB and, and the BTB fake. But Bellerman ties it up, six up, and then Utah rolls from there. And uh, quote from the Bellerman coach on just kind of how they got it to six, uh, six on six, but then they just couldn't hold on to it. It says, uh, we extend, uh, expended a ton of energy coming back and we got to a six, uh, got to six, six and just couldn't get a stop. Uh, Whitley said the penalty at six, six really killed us. They had a penalty when it was tied and, and that was kind of the, the writing on the wall at the end of it, uh, really killed us. And it was just too much. I feel like we would have, uh, gotten the lead. I, I can't see anymore. So I'm reading like I can't read. Uh, I feel like we would have gotten the lead. If we would have gotten the lead, we could have gotten over the hump, but they played really disciplined offense and made some shots at the end, and we ran out of gas. And that that's what Utah has done in these first two games so far. They've taken care of the ball. They have never quit. They play hard. They play def good help defense overall, which is evidenced by the fact they were able to keep Bellerman down to seven goals. Um, so Utah, even though they lost all those guys on offense – seem to be putting up goals still and playing within their system and taking care of the ball. They're playing wise be beyond their years. One of the things I had said was a key for Utah in this game was their guys had to keep playing dumb. And by dumb, I just mean keep playing with no fear because you're too stupid and young to know that you, sh you should be fearful. Seems like they're doing that. Utah, Cole Brams, another story here. Cole Brams was one of the reasons Utah hung with Denver at the faceoff dot. Cole Brams goes 15 of 22 from the dot with an assist. And then Jordan Hyde for Utah, four goals, uh, four shots at one point. I don't know if he had shots later, but I know when he scored his fourth goal, uh, he had only taken four shots at that point and scored all four of them. Tyler Bradbury, three and one. Ramsey McCreary, one and three. Zach Johns and Cage played tough again, nine saves versus seven goals. And then uh, for Bellerman, London Trout 
or Landon Trout, London Trout. Landon Trout goes for two goals. So good game out of both teams. Utah, though, has proven they're the real deal, and I will not doubt them again the rest of the year. I probably will, uh, and then they I will eat whatever chirping uh, gets done to me. Mercer took on Lenoir Ryan. We're not going to talk about this one a lot. There was no feed or anything like that. Uh, the only thing to note is Goldsmith is, is going to be out for a little bit longer is what we've heard, so that's not good for Mercer. But they win 17-4 over Division II Lenoir Ryan. Colin Stewart, Will McCarthy, and Jack McGuire each went 3-1 uh, and one in the win for Mercer. So we have that. And then we get into a little bit of D2 ball here, baby. Lise McRae lost by a goal in OT to Alabama Huntsville. I even have some highlights that will roll. Alabama Hunts- Huntsville led most of the game uh, at two points. Or the Alabama Huntsville led by most of the game, and at two points, they led by quite a bit of a margin, three, four goals or so. But then Lise McRae battles back. Lise McRae scored the first goal of the game and had the first lead of the game. They did not get the lead back until top half of the fourth quarter, um, but then the game ended up in a tie in regulation as, as, as Alabama Huntsville was able to score, tie it up, force overtime in overtime. Grayson Stevens scored a man-up goal from Preston Dino in overtime, and uh, University of Alabama Huntsville goalie Zach Welsh put up 19 saves to just 10 goals in Alabama Huntsville's win. So Welsh certainly factored in that game, putting up 19 saves in an overtime game. That is huge for a goalkeeper. He wins the goalie battle. His team wins the game. Now, I didn't recap it here because we already recapped the Duke-Denver game from Friday in yesterday morning's live stream. But if we want to talk about that a little bit for anyone who didn't hear it because the audio listeners did not get to hear the recap of that game because we're, we're not going to put the Lax Factor lives up anymore, I don't think, as a podcast, which is kind of dumb, but uh, we'll see how it goes. But anyway, Denver, their keys were against Duke and the win in, in their loss against Duke was that they had to come out, play fast, And they did that. They came out and did not start poorly like they did against Utah the week before. They played fast. They needed to play insane man-to-man defense and play really good help defense against Mike Sowers. Early on, they didn't even need to help against Mike Sowers. Mike Sowers just held his own, or not Mike Sowers, uh, whoever they had guarding Mike Sowers, held his own and kept Sowers in check early. Uh, Duke's keys, just take care of the ball early because it was their first outing. They didn't do that. So the result was 5-1, 6-1 Denver at one point because Duke, every time they did get the ball, they were turning it over. And then off defensively, they couldn't get stops. They kept letting Jackson Morrill get the ball behind in the first half. He scored three first half goals, all of them from X curling around the top, not even having to question mark, just getting a step on his man, beating him high and scoring off curl plays or curl dodges. So that was rough uh, for Duke as well. But then once Duke got settled on defense, they had a goalie change. They pull Adler out and they put Upgren in. I don't blame Adler. I said this in the live stream. I don't blame Adler for getting roached. The defense was giving up a lot of really easy shots. And the goal even that he the, – the, there was a, an outside shot taken – the Adler actually got a stick on, and it was the dude just had time and room hands free. And they benched Adler after that, but Upgren did come in and play better. And Donowski had mentioned it's not always about benching the goalie uh, for the goalie's sake. Sometimes it's a wake up call to the defense that, like, ah, oh, shit, our buddy just got benched because we suck, and now we got to play better. And it, it, the defense settled down. Upgren did make some really big saves. The defense looked better, and then Duke slowly but surely started chipping back. The one glaring omission in the box score for Denver was Jack Hanna, Jungle Jack Hanna, one of the best midfielders in the country, 
had to have a good game. Nine shots, zero goals, zero helpers. And uh, as we look at the box score for Duke Sowers, a goal and three helpers by the end. O'Neal, Brennan O'Neal, the freshman, three goals, one assist. Owen Caputa, two goals. Denver, Jackson Morrill goes for three. Silstrap and Kotler both go two and one. And Walker goes for two goals. Walker went for two goals, but he took like 10 to 12 shots. And uh, Hannah took nine shots. So between Walker and Hannah, they they finished for two goals off like 20 shots between the two of them. That's not going to be good enough for Denver to win. In Cage, Thompson for Denver, he played tough early. Uh, he had three saves in the first quarter, only finishes the game, though, with seven uh, versus 12 goals. And Adler had three saves versus six goals. He gets benched. Upgren comes in, saves the day, 11 saves against only four goals. And like I said, I don't think that was Adler's fault fully. I think the defense was playing pretty rough, left him out to dry a couple of times. But alas, that's that's what's going to happen. Um, let's see here. And now today's game. Today we have UNC now about to face Denver. And once again, I've talked about this already, but because we're about to roll into the game here in a couple of hours, we'll talk about it just real quick You know, at the end here to, to top it off. Um, UNC, keys to their game, same as, as Duke pretty much. And Duke didn't pan out in that way, but UNC wants to come out and play hot early. They want to play loose early. They want to get up the field in transition early. They want to get... Uh, Solomon and uh, Chris Gray involved early and they'll, they should be okay. Defensively, they're pretty solid. I think the offensively, they're a lot better than they are defensively, but learn from Duke's mistakes. Do not let Jackson Morrill get the ball, ball at X. Do not let him kind of run that fade. Whereas a midfielder's dodging from a wing towards Morrill at X that his defender tends to watch. And if he sees his defender watching, if this is the cage, guys dodging this way, he'll start to fade opposite so that by the time he gets the pass, he's over here. His defender's still behind the cage, and then he starts booking up the other side. UNC, that was a terrible, terrible description. For anybody who's only listening, I'm sitting here with my hands motioning, and even the people watching had no idea what the hell I was just talking about. But UNC has to defend Morrow better at X. If they can do that, Denver has not proven that they're going to be able to win and outscore teams yet in these first two games. They outscored Utah, but barely. Um, They could not outscore Duke. Duke ended up handling that. So UNC, take care of the ball, but play fast and loose and get out and score goals for Denver. You know, you got to stop these teams in transition, and you just have to put together a full game. Denver played well in the first half. They played insane in the first quarter, well over the course of the first half, and then did not show up for the second half of this game. And when you're playing teams like Duke and UNC, you have to play a full game. So Denver is not going to get away with a win unless they play all four quarters. And it's cliche, I know, but sadly, it's it's the truth. So And Jack Hanna has to factor. Jack Hanna has to put – he's shot very poorly so far. Last year – Part of the big, the big part of his success was while he did take a lot of shots, he was scoring them at a respectable rate. And so far in these first two games, he has shot the ball terribly. So he just has to be better, and Denver will be better. It's a pretty simple proposition there, overall. But that's our lone game, I think, today. If if there ends up being, here's the weird deal: as I try to figure out the schedule here, is I I want to stick to the schedule. But then, like when there's a Friday night game, I can't help myself but you know break that down Saturday morning instead of in this show. So we'll probably just stick to the schedule and keep doing what we're doing. And when there's Saturday games, we'll recap them on Sunday. When there's Friday games, we'll recap those in the live stream on Saturday morning. And then when there's games like today on Sunday, I'm just going to probably shut my mouth maybe and not recap it. Uh, or maybe I'll do some kind of random live stream. I'll start trying to pop up when we're going to live stream up on Twitter and crap like that, though. 
Um, what else do we want to talk about? Let's see. I think we got a little bit more time here. So let's see if we got some news to chat up. Oh, one thing I wanted to say. I actually did take a note about this. Let me get back down to it. One of the things I like that Quint mentioned in the uh, Virginia game yesterday was that what an opportunity these fifth-year players end up having. That, yes, if you want to look at the the crap side of it, COVID sucked and everybody got, everything got thrown in. Uh, like, just everything was weird. And all these players now have to, have to deal with five years' worth of players on campus, and it's going to eat playing time, and the Ivy Leagues are dealing with what they're dealing with, and that's terrible. But when you look at a scenario like uh, Virginia, kids that, kids that transferred away uh, to schools like Virginia, to schools like Duke, to schools like Notre Dame, I mean, these kids are getting an opportunity. Like normally, a uh, dude like, um, uh, what's his name? I'm getting there. Bertrand, he was done. If it wasn't for the COVID season, he finishes his senior year at Merrimack. He's done. He could still go to grad school, and that would have been dope. But now, instead of going to grad school and not playing lacrosse, maybe being a graduate assistant coach or something like that, he's now at grad school, bettering himself, furthering himself along his career path, getting a master's degree from Virginia. In Sauer's case, he's getting a master's degree from Duke. I think that's how that's rolling. So these kids are getting to further their education at these wonderful institutions. The Penn transfers are going to Notre Dame. It's like, giddy up, man. What an opportunity for them to get to continue to play lacrosse, to get to continue their education, further themselves along on their career path. So a little bit of a silver lining amongst all the shit that we hear all the time. So I was glad I was glad Quint uh, had spit that out. And, man, that's it. Week zero. This is officially week zero. So next week is officially week one, even though I was quoting that all wrong. But I'm not going to stay here and ramble any longer than I have to because there's nothing else to talk about here today. What we will do on Wednesday, we will recap or we will preview this Wednesday. We'll preview Wednesday morning. It comes out. We'll preview the the games for next week. And then on Saturday morning, 10 a.m., we will do the live stream to talk about the games that are coming up and anything that maybe happened on Friday or during the week, for that matter. Just do a bunch of random chatting on Saturday morning. And then once again, Sunday morning, just like you're watching now, this show recapping Saturday's events will come out and then we'll just keep rinsing and repeating. But for once, we're actually keeping on schedule, staying on God's path to uh, to 10,000 subscribers. So be sure to like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell. But subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Share with people. Go to laxfactor.com. Get yourself some swag and support us that way as well. And uh, as always, you can listen to us anywhere where you get audio podcasts. But our home is anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor. And if you are listening, you can find us anywhere that there's social media. But our video home is youtube.com forward slash lax factor, even though we put these videos up on Instagram and Facebook as well. So that is it. I will be back Wednesday morning. Uh, Be sure to tune in then. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And Hoost is out. 